Hello and welcome to episode 13 of the Ryan Glover podcast with guests for the blueworldorder.com website. I'm of course Ryan Glover and the producer for this and every podcast is Jordan Taylor. You'll hear his perspective for these podcast and with the final segment of the podcast, Final Thoughts with JT, where me and Jordan will break down what the guest says for that specific podcast. Today's guest is Tim Bontemps, national NBA writer for the Washington Post, was a former New York Post staffer also, and he is currently covering the Thunder and Spurs series first second round matchup. Tim, first of all, thanks for joining us this afternoon and how are you? I'm good, guys. How are you? We're good. We're good, Tim. So let's start with this Memphis Grizzlies discussion here in Memphis, Tennessee. Obviously, it's a big topic going on right now. People are trying to figure out, you know, obviously you weren't around this team a lot, and you, but you've been to a couple of games. I've seen you on your Twitter feed. You came to the Memphis and Golden State game, and you've seen Memphis and all this kind of stuff. So you know it from the inside out. So when you look at this organization and you see what happened, all went down, you've obviously read everything, you've seen everything. What's your overall thoughts about it before we individually break it down? Um, I think the situation that probably worked out the best for everybody in the end. Um, you know, I report over the weekend that, that Dave Yeager, you know, has been talking to the Kings and, and, you know, he wanted a pay raise pretty clearly. And, you know, this is the second time in a couple of years that this has come up. And uh, after he, you know, flirted with the Minnesota job back you know, a couple of years ago. And, you know, the, the bottom line is that he, you know, he had some issues with the front office. It didn't seem like he was going to be a long-term fit there even though he's a very good coach and rather than, you know, kind of just muddle through another year and then, you know, try to make things work. Um, you know, the fact that the, um, the fact that the Grizzlies could, could move on from him now and give themselves an opportunity to, to really hit the coaching market while there were a lot of good options available made this a, uh, made the situation that for them allows them to go get a good coach and for Dave to go, you know, get a job where he gets more money in Sacramento and, and he, you know, he can have a little more, you know, maybe more synergy with the front office than what he thought he had in Memphis. So, um, although Memphis loses a good coach, I think they have a chance to hire another one, and I think it, it works out well for everybody involved. So, like you said, the main point you mentioned there was the money-wise, right? How he wanted to go to Sacramento or any other job and get a pay raise. He got a significant pay raise in Sacramento. So, do you think, I know we've heard a lot of stories over the past couple of days, you know, with the organization, he was not getting along with how the Jeff Green, Courtney Lee trade went down, even way back to the Jordan Adams trade over Rodney Hood. I don't know how legit that is, but that's what people have been saying. Do you think it's just more of organization, or do you think he strictly just wanted a pay cut and Memphis just wasn't going to give it to him? Well, they'd already renegotiated his contract once, and they yep. didn't want to do it again. And so that was uh, that was definitely an issue for them. And, I mean, look, you know, there were the, the Jordan Adams-Rodney Hood thing was real, and there were other issues with personnel books that were real. But that, that happens with coaches a lot. But, you know, the bottom line was he, he thought he deserved more money, and to be fair to him, he probably did. He was, per dollar, probably the best value coach in the league last couple of years, making only a couple million dollars. And you look at how much some of these other coaches are making and the fact that he can, you know, go get, you know, double the salary and, and find himself in a situation he's more comfortable with, I think makes sense for him. And, you know, like I said, if you're Memphis, you don't, I don't think anybody wants to have a coach that doesn't want to be there. So rather than hold them there and, and, you know, keep them in a job just for the sake of keeping them, you know, now they can go find somebody that, that fits with their vision and wants to be there. And that, that should, uh, that should benefit them in the long run. 
Yeah, so now you look at what happened on Twitter that happened, went down a couple of days ago. One of our colleagues here in Memphis, John Martin, gets a, somebody sends him a picture of Chris Wallace and, you know, Lionel Holland's meeting up at one of our famous restaurants here. And, you know, Chris Wallace was on a radio show this, this past couple of days saying it was nothing. It was just the two friends going out, having a fun time. Why they can't do that? He was saying stuff like that. So when you hear that kind of stuff, do you think he's just, you know, maybe he's trying to get Lionel's opinion? Or do you think deep down inside, Chris Wallace really wants Lionel Holland to be the next head coach again, but he knows deep down inside, Robert Pera, people of that organization won't let it happen? Ah, who knows? I mean, they, they might have just had one. I mean, Lionel lives in Memphis. They could have just been hanging out. It might have been you interviewed him for a job. They might have just been uh, talking about candidates. It's kind of hard to say. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't rule out Lionel as a candidate, but I also wouldn't you know guarantee it's going to happen either. I mean, I, I would be I would be surprised if that happened. But you know, stranger things have happened, and, and Lionel still has you know, really a relationship with guys like Mike Conley and Marcus Saul, and, and you know, the, if Memphis wants to resign. Mike Conley having Lionel around probably would help with that, but um, you know, I think I don't know how much you can read into anything like that, especially you know it's not like Lionel flew in to see him; he already yep. lives there. So um, you know, it's it's kind of a typical situation. It's, it's kind of a, a unique situation. So now with the coaching search going forward, right? Some net main names that were mentioned: Frank Vogel, Mark Jackson, Jeff Van Gundy, even some assistants like Patrick Ewan and Fizdale at the Miami Heat. When you when you think my, when Memphis is going forward, right, and they're looking for their next head coach, obviously the key thing this offseason is to re-sign Mike Conley, which every indication was that they're going to with or without Dave Yeager. But now, do you think they have to get a, a coach that fits well? With point guard in particular, like a Frank Vogel who hasn't really had that stable point guard. You know, George Hill is good, but he's not that all-around great point guard like Mike Conley could be when he's not he- when he is healthy. So, do you think they look at that kind of thing? How coaches have worked in the past, or what? What do you think they're looking for? That's a good question. I'm not sure we really know what they're looking for. I mean, uh, you know, I think I think I think Frank Vogel makes sense for them because of his relationship with Chris Wallace and the fact that he is a very good coach. However, I I don't know if they're going to be willing to pay. The money it's going to take to get Frank, which is probably what Scott Brooks got, which is five years and thirty-five million dollars. Um, you know, I, I could see them going in a assistant route. I could see them doing a lot of different things. I'm not sure what their what their plan will be, but um, it, it it's it's going to be interesting to see who they can get to that job. It's it's Memphis's tough job. You know, you've got Mike, you've got Mike Conley being a free agent. You've got Mark Saul coming off a broken foot. You've got a roster that's kind of in flux. It's going to be hard to get free agents to sign there. Um, you know, it, it's a it's a tricky situation, and, and it's it's not it's not going to be one that, that's going to be easy for them to uh, to figure out. Hey Tim, this is Jordan. So, do you think, depending on the type of coach that they bring in, will have a factor on what type of what type of style their offense is next season? Like, do you think uh, if they bring in a particular style of coach, do you think that will have an influence on whether they stick with this grit and grind mentality or try to go smaller? Uh, yeah, I would think it would have to, Jordan. I mean, if you, if you if you hire a coach, you know, I'm not saying that they're easy to involve. If you hire somebody like, say, Mike D'Antoni, who plays a certain style, you could expect to, to play a certain style. And, you know, if you hire a guy like Frank Vogel, he's probably going to fit better with the roster that they've got in terms of currently in terms of playing bigger and slower and emphasizing defense so that's what Frank succeeded with and in, with Indiana but yeah I think if you hire a coach unless you hire a coach that that, that has shown the capability of playing multiple ways you're probably going to hire somebody that's going to fit a certain style and and then you're going to you know implement that both through the guys you have on your current roster and then who you go out and get in free 
So, yeah, this is just basically a basic opinion on you, Tim, because, you know, you covered all the NBA. You've seen it all. For lack of a better term, stubborn has been what Memphis has done the past couple of years with their core four and how they've been stubborn enough not to try to change the way they've played, right? They've determined to stick with Zach. They've determined to stick with Tony Allen in the starting lineup. If it works, it works. And it's, it's worked in the regular season, but you've seen what's happened in the playoffs. So regardless of who they have as their next coach, it doesn't matter what kind of tempo he is. Do you think Memphis is leaning towards now finally changing to what today NBA is? Or do you think regardless of the head coach, they're going to try to stick with what they are um I, I again i think that's i think that's remains to be seen you know chris we'll we'll see what chris wallace does i think both those options are on the table um you know that group's starting to get older you probably have to start to make changes eventually but until they until they actually show that they're going to it's hard to assume it's hard to assume that's going to happen so you know, I, I think everybody's kind of curious to see what the Grizzlies do with this hire and, and what it means for them going forward. So let's transition now over to the MVP talk. Tim, obviously we know Stephen Curry became the unanimous MVP first time in NBA history that was done so. Then the interesting question that's popped up on Twitter the past couple of days on radio shows, TV shows, etc., is, you know, is he the most valuable player in the league, right? Yes, the past two seasons he's been unbelievable. We've seen historic things from the three-point line, from his the, nobody's handles like he does to a three-point shot in my, in my lifetime. So the question that a lot of people want to ask, and I wanted to get your opinion about it, was is he the most valuable player in the NBA right now, or what he does specifically for the Golden State Warriors is just unique among all other players? Um, well, I mean, the, the term valuable is a pretty vague and opaque term. You can kind of use it whatever phrase, whatever framework you want to, but I think it's, it's kind of impossible to argue he's not the most valuable player in the league when he just became the first unanimous MVP of all time and won it two years in a row. I'm not, I'm not, sure, I'm not sure at that point what else you would have to do to, to have that title. It's you know, been the engine that's driven that team to the best record in regular season history, and, and if they can win another you know, nine playoff games, so they'll be pretty clearly the greatest team of all time. And, and the fact that he's the guy that's at the center of that, I think, answers your question. Yeah, because people were like, there's, listen, a lot of people were saying, like, you know, LeBron James or something like that, or Kawhi Leonard. Like, for instance, this year, LeBron James has been the best player in the world for the last five years or ten years or whatever you want to say. But the last, but this specific season and last season, he finished third and then fourth in the MVP voting. We know Kawhi Leonard finished second this year. So you were thinking, if you take Curry off the Golden State Warriors and replace him with, say, LeBron James, are, is it the same thing, or is LeBron more valuable to a certain team, and does he make that team better than Stephen Curry does? Yeah, I mean, it's just it's, it's kind of an impossible question to answer because you're you're talking about guys fitting into you're talking about guys fitting into um, fitting into systems and fitting into teams in wildly different ways. You know, what LeBron James does and what Stephen Curry does are just totally opposite things. And if if Steph Curry was on the the Cavs, they would play a very different style. And if LeBron was on the Warriors, they would play a very different style. So it, you can't just drop a guy into another team and say, well, this this would mean this would be different. It's it just it's way too complicated to work that way. Yeah, I definitely agree with that for sure. So now back to your series now that you're covering for the Washington Post. Obviously, a lot of people in Washington are hoping Kevin Durant goes to the Washington Wizards this offseason, but all indications still point to maybe him staying in Oklahoma City for that one-year deal and then obviously max out the following season when the cap keeps going up. But so far, the series itself, Tim, it's been an absolute thrill to watch this, the past five games now. 95-91 Oklahoma City last game to force a game six on their home court to close it out. So what have you seen in particular that Oklahoma City's done different? Because if I'm going to be honest with you, Tim, I've seen can't I've seen Cantor and Adams slash Ibaka now double team 
LaMarcus Aldridge in the post when he turns over his one shoulder and he's always got a big guy there waiting for him, and LaMarcus hasn't been the same since his first two games. So is it that big of a difference that's messed up the whole San Antonio Spurs offense, or have you seen something different that Oklahoma City's done? Uh, well, they haven't really been double-teaming. They've had, they've had Stephen Adams guarding uh, LaMarcus Aldridge, which kind of eliminates the post-up game for him because Stephen Adams can't get blown off the block like uh, LaMarcus is doing to Serge Ibaka. And, you know, the Thunder have basically, they've gone big with Ennis Kaner a lot because the Spurs have been big all the time, and they've basically left themselves in a position where, they, um, where they've where they dared the, the Spurs to beat them in isolation matchups with, and taken their chances that they're bigger and faster, stronger guys and stopped the Spurs from doing that. And the past couple of games, that's worked, and it's led to San Antonio, uh, you know, struggling to score down the stretch of games and losing the last two games, and and it's given the Thunder a chance to go home tomorrow and, uh, and close the series up. So like you mentioned, it's been Cantor and Adams the last fourth quarters for the last two games to get those victories there. So when you look at this now, right, the San Antonio's is the easy switch of just moving LaMarcus to the five, Kawhi to the four, and then maybe a Kyle Anderson slash Manu Ginobili at the three along with Danny Green and Tony Parker to make them go small and try to see if Oklahoma City counters back by going small too? Or do you think, you know, Pop loves Tim Duncan, but we all know we're not seeing the real Tim Duncan for the last 10 to so years. Or do you think Pop is okay to make that switch? Um, I, I could see. I, I'm not. I, I could see the, the the Spurs going small in some form. Um, I, I I don't know if they will. They probably won't. That's not really their thing. But um, but I, I do think that if you're going to try to com- they, they struggle to combat that big lineup, and one way to do it would be to go small and try to force um, try to force Canner off the floor. You know, and make make the make this make the Thunder go back to playing small. I, I think that if San Antonio can do that; it'd probably be a win for them. Um, but, but yeah, that that's that is one possible chess move that uh, Greg Popovich hasn't made yet that he might have to tomorrow to try to to try to turn things around a little bit. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing too. Now with the Spurs side, right? You know, Tony Parker's been decent the two games before. And then again last night, it's felt like you know the last couple of possessions, Kawhi Leonard had Russell Westbrook when they got a loose rebound, and he just they had an opportunity to possibly post up Kawhi on Russell Westbrook, but they didn't do it. They decided to settle for a 15 foot jump shot from Tony Parker, and he missed it to the left, and obviously missed a three throw. Also, so is it something? Do you think you know San Antonio for all, so many years under the Popovich era, you know the the ball movement, they would get the Danny Green threes like they did last night, and they would move it around. And they would trust everybody. It feels like now, come to the fourth quarter, Tony Park has taken a back seat, minus last night, and it's just been strictly two-on-five basketball with Kawhi and and um, Lamarcus Aldridge. Do you see anything different that they could do on the offensive side? Well, I mean that's kind of what they've been all year. They've kind of devolved into what they were 15 years ago. They're at you know back in the early part of the 2000s, built on defense and and uh, an isolation ball like they were then with Tim Duncan and. Uh, you know, later on, Monte Ginobili and, and Tony Parker, and now it's you know it's Lamarcus Aldridge and Kawhi Leonard, and that's what they do. Um, they need to move the ball a little more. They got to get up some more threes, but you know it's it's kind of tough because they, they they like I said, the way the Thunder have, have played this, they've done a pretty good job of turning it into a, a setup where you know it's iso ball against iso ball, and, and that that's probably going to lead to lead to an advantage for the Thunder because they have the best isolation scorers in the league and Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. So, um, you know, it, it, that, that's, the, that's the chess move that the, the Spurs have been able to pull off the last few games. They have to find a way to, um, to limit, to, to try to change that up a little bit and get some more ball movement and, 
and change the change the face of the game. And if they can't, you know, there's a good chance the series is going to end on Thursday night. So two quick hit ones before I let you go. First one with the San Antonio Spurs. Do you believe, regardless if, if the Spurs come back and win this series and then they go on, it doesn't matter how many more series, is this Tim Duncan's last farewell playoff yeah. tour, in your opinion? I think so. It looks like it's time. And, and you know, the, I think the general feeling is that he's done. And, you know, he could come back. And if they, he comes back, they'll happily take him back. But I don't, I don't think they're counting on it at this point, if I had to guess. And then the last quick one with the Oklahoma City Thunder. A lot of people in your area, in the Washington area, were hoping Kevin Durant will sign there this offseason. Your gut feeling, does he sign with Oklahoma City long-term, one-year deal, or go elsewhere? Uh, I think he'll be in Oklahoma City next year. I think, especially if they win this series, I think if, you know, if they win this series and get to the conference finals, you know, it's a big paradigm shift in the West. You know, how they get past the Spurs, might be the end of Duncan, might be the end of Ginobili. Um, you know, the Thunder have a young team around Westbrook and, and Durant. Um, you know, if he could sign a one-year deal at least and see what Russ wants to do in a year. But, you know, I think those two guys, surrounded by a bunch of young guys, you know, it gives them a chance to, uh, you know, gives them a chance to grow together. And, and you know, if they're in the Western Conference Finals against the, the Warriors, and can, you know, give them a little trouble. I think it'd be hard to see him, you know, leave to go play for a team that just beat him or a team that he just beat playoffs so um my my guess is that he's back and uh it's under back you know somewhere around this or deeper in the playoffs next year well tim thank you so much for joining us this afternoon great insight as always i always enjoy reading your articles after the games and of course safe travels up to oklahoma city for game six and thanks so much for joining us sure guys thanks for having me appreciate it no sir thank you yeah thanks tim so jordan that was tim bontemps from the washington post covering all great basketball as he always does Oklahoma City and San Antonio Spurs is obviously the big discussion around here a lot but we'll get to that in a minute let's start with the Grizzlies situation right as we are as we kick to the final thoughts with JT interesting dilemma right I've heard a lot of dilemma about Jaeger crying on the post-game show sorry not the post-game show the post-game press conference at the end of the season to try to get out of Memphis I don't know if that's believable I don't believe that okay we, we'll, we'll in case you had that question I don't believe uh, that I'm just bringing up points okay so that was one point. That's what a lot of people saying. Then second point was, how did he get the job so quickly in Sacramento after, quote-unquote, mutually agreeing, fired, whatever you want to say? How did he get that job so quickly in Sacramento? Is it strictly Vlade Divac said, hey, look, he got fired. Let me call his representatives. Or, in my opinion, were they talking behind closed doors, via the cell phone, via email, doesn't matter, the last, maybe as soon as the regular season ended, maybe a couple of weeks after the regular season, to say, hey, Maybe maybe say something in the press conference. Be like, I'm not in the NBA draft, as Jaeger said. Maybe cry a little bit. Who knows? But maybe if that's – you were already thinking about getting out. But if you do that, you're definitely getting out, and you can get me on board. I think you read my mind because that's exactly what I was thinking. Because – real quick, sorry. I didn't mean to jump you in. But that's – it made me not think that, though, because he interviewed, like, what, 30 different coaches? Or 30 different coaches were scheduled to interview or were reported on. That's why I was thinking – Maybe that's a part of the act. Like you said, the crying thing, maybe it could all have been a scheme. Because that's, that's what I was thinking. Like, yes, it could have been possible. Of course mm-hmm. it's possible. In this stage of the NBA, in this day of the world and in the NBA, you can reach anybody with a snap of the finger. That's yep. obviously possible. And it was about 48 hours, close to 72, I'd say about 60 hours. He got the job. He had a press conference in Sacramento. He met mm-hmm. all these people, right? Got fired Saturday morning at 9 a.m., and boom, just like that, all of a sudden, he had a flight the next day. Yep, that was his guy. Mm. Yeah. 
So what do you think then now going forward? Like Tim mentioned, we don't know if they're going to change the way they play. All indications point. I don't think Chris Wallace has the balls to trade Zach Randolph or Tony Allen in their final year of this deal. I mm-hmm. think he's going to do what he did in Boston, keep Paul Pierce, Ray Allen, and Kevin Garnett in their mm-hmm. final three and just have to deal with it because those guys have meant so much to Boston. These guys have meant so much to Memphis. So next coach, doesn't matter who it is. Do they stick with the grit and grind philosophy or do they try to switch it up to some way somehow? I think they stick with it. I think that I think they ride that idea into the ground, man, because like the personnel that they have now, that's the only way you can play. You're going to speed up. You're just going to end up breaking your guys down even more. They can't keep up with the rest of the league. It's like you have all these old guys on the roster. I mean, they can only play one way anyway. So it seems like right now, I don't think they have the mentality, oh, we're going to go win a championship. I don't think they have a mentality, oh, we're going to go Pete. We're going to go compete in the NBA Finals. So I feel like this is kind of a let's figure out what we're going to do. Let's get all the guys together that's going to lead us into the future. And let's just, just finish out these seasons strong with these last guys that we have. Because you know Zach's under contract for one more year. Tony's under contract for one more year. All indications point if you re-sign Mike Conley, it will be the five years fully max. It won't just be like a one-year deal because, you know, Mike's mm-hmm. never had this kind of money before, so he's going to take advantage of the five-year deal. So, like you said, you have the team you have. You can't do anything with it. You can sign free agents to help that. But if you, but if you keep Zach, you keep Tony, the only way you could change it is, right, make Zach Randolph be your backup big. Sign a guy this offseason who could play the three-slash-four position. Harrison Barnes, Nick Batum, those guys can play the stretch three-slash-four positions. And then see what happens, right? But like you mentioned, if they don't do anything in free agency and if it's the same Memphis old where they re-sign their guys and then maybe get a 37-year-old Vince Carter, a 36-year-old Matt Barnes via the trade, the best thing they've done in these franchises since is just been trades. You could yeah. arguably say the best free agent signing in the Chris Wallace era, 37-year-old Vince Carter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's nothing, it's nothing, it doesn't matter who your coach is, man. Like, he can't play for you. <laughs> like, he can only drop so many X's and O's. He can only drop so many plays. I mean, we know who our stars are. We're going to try to retain them in, uh, in Mike Conley. Marcus all sticking around. We just got to build around those guys. So that's the biggest thing now, right? Like I was telling, uh, like I was asking Tim, Frank Volvers never had a point guard like Mike Conley. Mark Jackson never had a point guard like Mike Conley. Stephen Curry's completely unique, but he wasn't the Stephen Curry then, right? Then you look at assistant coaches, Patrick Ewing, he's just looking for a chance. Mm-hmm. Fizdale's looking for a chance. But the thing is, right, just because Patrick Ewing, like people have been saying, just because Patrick Ewing's 6'10", 7 foot, he's a big guy, doesn't mean he has to play big, right? Yeah. Like, He's play, he, he was under the Charlotte Hornets this year where they played fast, and yeah. they had one big guy in Al Jefferson who's fantastic. And Memphis Grizzlies have two big guys that are better than Al Jefferson, in my opinion. So, But Al was hurt most of the season. Exactly. So yeah. they were forced to play, <laughs> small. Forced to play small. And Memphis has been injured most of their lives, right? Yeah. Mark Gasol, Zach Randolph can keep going on and on. So do you think, like you said, he doesn't know. He thinks if you get Frank Vogel, you have to give him the Scotty Brooks deal in Washington, which I don't know if they're able to do that. So would you rather have a guy who's unproven, but has been fantastic on an assistant role in Patrick Ewing, or do you give up big money for Frank Vogel, who played the Memphis way in Indiana? What do you do? For me, it, it would have to be Frank Vogel, because I think Frank Vogel can give you a little bit of both. I think Frank Vogel, he's still, he's still a young coach. He's still a guy we could keep around. You still a, He's a proven coach in my eyes. I think he, he did a lot with that development in Indiana. He made a lot of those guys the names that they are now even though some of them have fell off. But I think Frank Vogel can give you a lot of things. You can integrate him into the personnel that we have now and go ahead and make that offense competitive, make this team competitive. You can still get us to the playoffs next season. And then the big thing is that I don't want 
the Grizzlies' ownership or organization to think. If we hire Frank Vogel, he's going to force us to re-sign Lance Stevenson. I don't think he does. Because if he thinks, if he walks in, like his pitch, right? When you're, when you're a coach, right? The, big, the thing you're trying to do is pitch yourself to why I should want this job, right? Yeah. That's what you do. So if you're Frank Vogel, you walk into the Memphis Grizzlies organization, what's your pitch? Your pitch is, I was in Indiana for the first three years before we decided to go small. I had David West. I had mm-hmm. Roy Hibbert. You have Zach Randolph. You have Mark Gasol. I can do that. So you pitch that idea. I had a good defensive point guard in George Hill, but not an offensive guy. Now mm-hmm. I, have an, I have a good defender in Mike Conley, but a great offensive player. Mm-hmm. So I can switch it up a little bit. I can show you my different schemes that I always wanted to do with a different point guard. And then finally, I had Lance Stevenson on my team in prior. You saw what I did under his, mm-hmm. under his diligence. He was fantastic for me, et cetera. Is that all you can pitch to yourself? If you're Frank Vogel, is that all you pitch? Because when you're a head coach, it, it's about pitching, right? Yeah. You have to sell yourself somehow. So what are you selling yourself on? You're selling yourself on that, yeah, I had David West and Roy Hibbert. You've got Mark Gasol and Zach Randolph. They're better than those two, so I can be successful. you got Mike Conley. He's better than George Hill. Whoop-de-doo. But I had Lance Stevenson. He was fantastic in that mm-hmm. year. He left, got great money, fantastic for him, and he was fantastic. He could have been – he was borderline all-star, mm-hmm. and then he fell off. Now I can bring him back up. Is that what you're selling? I think he could do that, or he could go another way. He could more so come in and say, we can go out and try to get some guys. We could change things. So you think Frank Vogel's a, a guy that would that would make a, a player in the offseason say, I know Memphis is a small market, but I've been successful in Indiana, and I can make guys come here. You think he can do that? He can pitch that to the organization? I think Frank Vogel's a good recruiter. Okay. I think he'd be a good recruiter. It's interesting. Because he's had unbelievable success on the floor. Mm-hmm. And Larry Bird, we've discussed this off air, and I'm going to say it right now. Larry Bird is going to absolutely gr- regret that. Yeah. I don't care who he br- <laughs> I, I totally agree. I don't care who he brings in. He might, be, uh, he might have a great record. But mm-hmm. Frank Vogel and Paul George, as everybody saw Paul George's Instagram post, if you haven't seen that, go check that out on Paul George's Instagram post. There was a bond there. And, and, I, and I feel like, not to interrupt you, but I feel like things like that, when star players yes. co-sign for coaches like that, other players see that. And what did you see this offseason? And what did you see this past week when Jaeger got fired? Did you Nothing. see one Grizzlies player come on social media Not a damn and thing. say, just thanks for the season, thanks for believing me, blah, blah, blah? No wow. Can't believe this. Nothing. So, so, you know, a lot of people aren't saying that on right here in Memphis area, but that's the reality, guys. You know, we're saying if your best player is Mike Conley, Mark Gasol, and, and Zach Randolph, and Tony's been the heart, heart and soul of this city for five years, almost six years, mm-hmm. right? They don't say – We've been they've been together for more than that. Just because yep. Lionel was the head coach, Jaeger was there. All right. He was still a part of that coaching yeah. staff. Yep. And then when he literally quote unquote cries, legit or not legit, and says two players in particular who meant nothing more to him and this city than Vince Carter and Matt Barnes, and they don't come on social media and say anything mm-hmm. like, Thanks for believing me, coach, thanks for trading for me, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Nothing. That that tells you everything you need to know what this meant yeah. and how Jaeger could he could cry on the fair. He could think, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm just doing this to get a job or whatever. But if that was legit, if we something find out that Jaeger was literally crying his way out of the university, oh, not the university, sorry, Memphis Grizzlies organization, that's just an absolute low bowl, low blow from Dave Jaeger to say, hey, I don't want to be here anymore. This team's old. I've got a great up-and-coming center, possibly in Boogie Cousins, and I want to do that. So I have no idea what to expect and what's going to go forward with Boogie Cousins and the Sacramento Kings. So with the Thunder and the Spurs, two great back-to-back games, right? 3-2 Oklahoma City and the San Antonio Spurs. And the Oklahoma City and the San Antonio Spurs, right? 3-2 now, two great back-to-back games from the Thunder perspective. 
we've seen maybe a little different with the Oklahoma City, right? Cantor and now Adams going down the stretch as the two big guys. What have you seen differently? I don't know, man. It's been weird because LaMarcus Aldridge started off hot. He looked unbelievable. He looked unstoppable. But then it seems like that one simple switch of Steven Adams shut him down. I can't, I can't believe that that, had, that was the only reason. I don't think Steven Adams is a good defender. That, that's what he's made his money on. But I don't think he slowed him down like that. Because like, I wasn't trying to necessarily tell Tim that he was double teaming him. But if you watch in particular, if Aldridge is on the left block posting up, and then if he spins to his left side here, there's always a defender that comes here and helps right. every time. So it's not necessarily double teaming, but every time when Aldridge wants to go off his left hand like he's shown in the series, because you know he's got yeah. the dislocated finger on his right finger, so he's been he's just been shooting jump shots, not mm -hmm. hooking them. So if he, every time he turns here and looks, there's a defender there every single time. Yeah. And that's been a huge difference. They didn't do that in the first two games. So that's what I was trying to point out to Tim. I don't know if he necessarily understood that. But that's a huge difference, in my opinion, because Aldridge is shown with his left hand and his left hook ability, and even f fading away over his uh, over mm -hmm. the shoulder, he can do that. So I thought that was a big difference. Yeah, I think I think the thing that Oklahoma City has proven to us now, honestly, I didn't believe it coming in. I didn't think that they could beat San Antonio in the fourth quarter. I thought San Antonio had to beat themselves, and I'm not I'm not including the refs. I'm not including any blown calls because if you would have played better, you yep. wouldn't have been in that position anyway. I agree. I know. I know that's the big storyline again right. after last night. The referee blew those back-to-back -back calls: the Adams trip, and then the Kawhi Leonard not mm -hmm. getting foul, trying to foul, but he didn't call it. Whatever that was. But like you said, Spurs. That's why I asked him. I know they've been playing this all way, all season long. Kawhi and Aldridge are fantastic players, right? Fantastic. Yeah. But that's not the. That's not been the Spurs' way. Mm -mm. That's not been the Spurs' way. But why? I think they're realizing also that they're they're Hall of Fame players, they're former star players, like getting old. Yeah. Like they need to rely on these young guys. They're but gonna. Where, but where's like a Patty Mills? On the bench waving that towel. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> that's what I've been seeing them. That's what. That's why Pop's got it. Like if Tony's not giving it to me, why yeah. not? And then if then when Patty's in the game, you can post up Kawhi. You can post up L.A. Then if they suck team on him, like if he makes three in a row, they're gonna hedge at him or at least mm -hmm. double team him from possession. Then you've got Patty. Then you've got Danny Green. Yeah, Pop, like you said, if his veterans aren't giving it to you, or they're tired, or they're just you know you just flat out ain't giving it to me. Mm -hmm. You should be able to make that call. I don't know. I, is Pop being too generous? Is he not doing what? Like Tim Duncan played the majority of the fourth quarter last night. Tony Parker played the majority of the yeah. fourth quarter last night. When it's not going and it's not clicking, don't you need to make that substitution? Yeah, that was one lineup he went with until like. It was like five minutes left in the fourth. It was like five something left in, in the fourth quarter. He stuck with Tim Duncan and David West. Yep. And I'm I'm not quite sure why. Like uh, he must have saw something that we didn't. I don't know if he was in there for defensive purposes. Maybe he's in there for rebounding. I don't know. Toughness, I Tough, guess. Maybe because yeah. you know Cantor seems like he just sucks up every rebound, every yeah, offensive. He was rebound. everywhere, dude. So I guess he was thinking yeah. maybe if West can throw his elbows a little bit or yeah. you know send him a little veteran stuff at him, maybe that'll work. I don't know. But like you mentioned, but like Kevin Martin. I'm not mm -hmm. saying he's the greatest player in the world. I'm not saying he's a great shooter. He's obviously not a great defender. Maybe that's not why he's not playing. Yeah. But if I'm Popovich right now, I need offense. This man has averaged 25-plus points in the league multiple seasons for so many years. Mm -hmm. Yes, he's 32. Yes, he might be a little cold because you know he might not be into the playoff intensity. But if you're trying to tell me a guy who's not been a big-time player in this league for so many years scoring-wise, to not come off the bench for 10 minutes a game, to just shoot as many times as you can. They've always given the green light to Danny Green. They've always given the green light to Patty Mills. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming Kevin Martin has the green light if he's in the game. I don't care if he's only been here two months or 20 years. You got to. Maybe that's a switch we see. I'm not trying to say I know anything about it, but maybe that's something we see. Like you said, Parker ain't giving it to me. 
Kyle Anderson, he's only there for defense on Kevin Durant only. Mm-hmm. Patty Mills should be playing more, but he's not playing more. And Ginobili's old as dirt. Yep. So you got to switch it up. And if you're not switching it up, then what's gone? You know you got one game left, right? If you don't win it, you're gone. Mm-hmm. And you might be saying goodbye to your best power forward in NBA history. And you might be saying goodbye to the best six man in NBA history. So why not try something different? Yep. And you're not telling me just because it's man who's quote-unquote maybe last game or Duncan's maybe last game, they're not going to be okay sitting on the bench watching that happen? Mm-hmm. Of course they are multiple-time champion. So that's what I need to see, Jordan. What's your last point either for Oklahoma City or San Antonio? What do you see differently, or what do you think, or what do you think is going to happen in Game 6? I don't think it's over. Okay. I don't think it's over. I think it's going Game 7. I think it's going back to San Antonio. I'm not going to predict that far. Okay. But I'm just going up to Game 6. It's not over. San Antonio's going to win that one. Pop's got some up his sleeve. Even though he is 2-15 all-time in Game 6 closeouts when he's on the road or at home. Let's live in the present, Ryan. I don't need these facts. Just giving you with the facts, Jordan. <laughs> well, that's all the time we have today for the next episode of the Ryan Gillette Podcast. Next Wednesday, we'll bring you right here on the WMR station, 91.7 FM. Make sure you tune that in every single day. Thank you, of course, to Tim Bontemps. Check him out of the Washington Post. Thank you to the best producer in the Mid-South, Jordan Taylor. I'm Ryan Glover.